It's so good to see you here today. Happy New Year. It is 2020 um, officially. Can you believe it? It's, it's crazy. A new year is before us as well as a new decade. Some of you have geeked out on this is a new dec- decade. I have as well. Um, but we are excited that you are here today. Um, it's going to be, um, I believe it's going to be an amazing year in a lot of different ways. And if you would, if you'd allow me, I'd like to spend a few moments um, before I dive into the text today, before I get to the sermon portion, if you give me just a few moments, I want to walk through some stuff together as, as a family, um, as a church, uh, really just about um, where we are right now in this season, in this moment, and what we believe God has for us. So can we do that? Can we do that? Give me a few minutes and we'll do this. Okay, so here, here's, here's the first thing, a few things I want to uh, let you know about. The first thing, today we're beginning a new series called Go. And the idea is we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about what it means as followers of Jesus to follow him and to to go, to be moving forward with him um, on his his mission. And so we're doing that. Um, In addition to um, this series, at the end of this series, um, we're doing something that we've never done before as a church. Um, As you can tell, many Sundays we are slammed, packed out. Sometimes there isn't a seat hardly in here. Sometimes in Bridge Kids, um, the kids are, uh, rooms are over capacity, and every week you can't find a parking place. It's, 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 it's bad all the way around on a lot of different fronts. Um, in just a few weeks, on January 26th, we are actually launching a third worship gathering that's going to be happening on Sunday evenings. And so we'll have two um, worship gatherings at 9 and 11 like normal, and then we'll do a 4 o'clock worship gathering um, that will be just like the 9 and 11, be exactly the same. Um, it's an, a way for us to create another offering um, as a way, an offering of another worship gathering so that people can actually come uh, to uh, the bridge. Um, because if right now, if you look around, if a family of five or six tried to come in here, there really isn't a seat for them anywhere, which is a problem, Right. But it is a good problem to have. Is anybody with me here today? Anybody with me? So uh, we're starting a brand new worship gathering here in just a few weeks, um, which will be a third worship gathering that will continue in perpetuity um, as as long as we need to, um, as long as God continues to lead us um, in that way. And so in the middle of this Go series, in addition to the series... Um, We're also doing something called the Go Challenge. So when you got here, um, grab that card that was in your seat. Um, You put it in the seat back in front of you. You put it in your purse, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere. Grab that. Um, This is a card, and it says on the front, I'll move for you. Um, We're asking specifically in this Go Challenge for 200 people to move from their 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock worship gathering and move to the 4 p.m. worship gathering. We need you to do that as a demonstration of living on mission and opening up a seat so that somebody else can come. Um, typically, the, the, typically right now, during the 11 o'clock worship hour, is the time where most people are probably going to come to a church for, for the first time. And so um, we, we need uh, many of you, uh, look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor, say he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Need you to pray. And need you to consider uh, taking this challenge. I know that some of you, you don't, have the op- you don't have the option, you don't have the flexibility for whatever reason, family stuff, work stuff, I get it. Um, but many of you do have the ability to consider moving to the 4 o'clock worship gathering. So we're going to challenge you to do that, 200 people of you to do that. And so you can actually do that today. Um, you can signify this on the card on the back. 
Um, it says, I accept the challenge, and there's a place you could put your name and your email, drop it in the buckets on the way out. There's also a place online on our web page where you can do this digitally as well if you're listening online or watching online, or maybe you don't do this uh, today. You've got the ability to do it online as well. And then in addition, um, there is a, so part of the challenge is I'll move for you, 200 people, and then there's another part of the challenge, which is I'll serve for you which we're asking 100 people who aren't yet serving on a Sunday uh, to jump in and to serve uh, in some kind of capacity. Um, every single person here is gifted. Um, every single person is gifted. You've got skills. You've got talents. Most of you smile. Um, you have the ability to serve in some kind of capacity um, here on a Sunday. And so we want you. It's a great opportunity. We're asking 100 people to take that step. And so maybe that's you serve once a month or twice a month or whatever your regularity is, four times a month, um, based on what you can commit to. Um, but a lot of different teams um, that, that we're, by increasing a worship gathering, we're increasing our need for serving by 50%. So we need you to consider, consider serving um, as well. So, I mean, serving in the worship team, production team, a guest services team, a bridge kids team, prayer team, baptism team, this team, that team. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of ways that you can serve. And so you can, um, you can do that through the Next Steps card, or you can also go online as well and say, I'll serve for you, okay? Isn't that exciting? Get to create new space for people to come and to be a part of this. It is amazing. So that's what we're doing, the um, Go Challenge. Now, here's what I'm believing for 2020. In many ways, um, 2020 is um, kind of a, um, a challenging year for me. Um, and I believe it's going to be a challenging year for um, our culture. We're leading into a presidential election in the end of this year that um, I believe is going to be at least as divisive as it was the previous time. And in 2016, um, I didn't do a good job um, leading you and preparing you for that. And so I've been prayerful about 2020 and demonstrating uh, why we have something that the world doesn't. And demonstrating that the kingdom of God is so superior to the kingdom of this world. And that what the world is looking for, they cannot do on their own. And our country is going to be increasingly more polarized and more divided than it ever has been. But we have the answer. And the way that we operate and the way that we interact together as the kingdom of God will be a testament, I believe, in 2020 to what they don't have and what they're missing. So I'm believing some significant things. I'm believing that God's going to increase his kingdom more so than the kingdom of this world uh, in 2020. And so a few weeks ago, I was, um, I was driving uh, down the road with my family. Um, I believe it was during the Rooted series. And we were on I-40 um, headed towards Raleigh or Greensboro or somewhere, I forget. Um, but I remember the moment um, rather vividly. Um, now, as by and large, a general rule that I have is if I'm in the car with my family, headphones don't go in, okay, which is a good rule, all right, especially if your dad, um, your parent, um, headphones don't go in unless your kids have driven you to, past the point of no return, okay, then maybe you should put the headphones in. Um, but generally speaking, um, I don't have my headphones in. This particular ride, I had my headphones in. Now, here's why. Uh, we have one of those um, amazing, like, inventions, best inventions ever in the history of the world, the DVD player that comes down um, in the SUV so that the kids can watch a DVD. They're watching a DVD. Um, they're watching a movie. Um, my wife is doing a work, calling, making phone calls in the passenger seat, so I'm like, 
great opportunity to listen to sermons. I'm a sermon junkie. I listen to sermons all the time. Got my headphones in, listening, thinking about the Lord, thinking about what God's doing in our church, specifically through the Rooted series. And this, um, this thought comes to me, this vision comes to me that was really um, unrelentless and was, came out of left field, I felt like, and, and really began to decide, is this from the Lord or not? But the vision was, um, as a church, we should try to baptize someone in every worship gathering for the entire year, for 2020, and which is just bizarre, you know? I mean, and, and at the time, I'm thinking, well, good night, like upwards of like 50 Sundays or so, like, that's like, I mean, that's upwards of like 100, I mean, it, it took us five years to baptize 150 people, and we do it in one year, like, um, this, this, this is crazy, and, and then I had the thought, oh, no, we're starting a third worship gathering. That means 50 more um, in addition to that, so now we're talking upwards of a buck 50, like, okay, um, and, and so I immediately tried to dismiss it, honestly, pastoral confession, you know, God tells you to do something, and you're like, ah, it's not from God. You make excuses. Uh, that was just my own imagination, you know, um, but this, uh, you know it's from God when it's like um, relentless, and it won't stop, and it wasn't your idea, and you didn't come up with it, and it's kind of bizarre if it was your idea anyways, and, I, and it just really felt like, okay, I feel like the Lord is calling us to this in 2020, um, and so after a few minutes, I, I, I reckoned with the Lord and agreed with what he was doing. And the first test was to test it out on my wife. Um, so she's in the passenger seat, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, this is going to sound crazy. Um, and so it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to get up the willpower and the strength, and I just said, um, hey, hey, babe, I gotta, can I run something by you? Can I mention something to you? Hey, what do you, what do you think about this? What, what, if we, what if we had a goal in 2020 as a church uh, to baptize uh, someone in, in every worship gathering. Literally, like, right away, she was like, that's, that's great. That's, that's, that sounds amazing. That sounds awesome. Is that what the Lord is saying? And I'm like, I think that's what the Lord is saying. And it was like, it was kind of one of those wow moments. I'm like, okay, now we got two on our side, all right? We got, we got two. We can do this. And then over the next few days, I would I'll share with the elders and with our staff and senior leadership team and work through this. And so we're believing God, um, as you saw today, both of our worship gatherings, we baptized uh, someone, which is awesome. And it's, can I just say as well, it's not like, it's not about the, the bridge getting bigger or our name or our platform. Or, you change the name, I don't care. It's not, it's not about any of that. It's, it's about the kingdom of God. There are thousands of people who are in our city that don't know Christ, that need hope, that need help. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members that need hope that need saving, that need to know Jesus. And so that's why, that's why we're doing that. And I'm believing that in 2020, we're going to demonstrate to the watching world what the kingdom of God is like and how we love each other and how we can get along. And so that's it. That's, that's the, the Go Challenge and the Go Series and our vision for a baptism. And, and then let me just mention one more thing that Hillary mentioned earlier. Um, we're stepping into, as our normal custom is at the beginning of the year, is a week of prayer and fasting where we're going to dedicate this week, specifically five days, so we're going to go Old Testament Hebrew style, evening to evening, beginning this evening, working towards uh, Friday evening, um, five days of prayer and fasting where we're just going to um, uh, surrender ourselves to seeking the Lord and pursuing God at the beginning of this year and asking him uh, for what he wants to do in our lives. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, at the onset of his ministry, before he stepped into his greatest ministry, he, he fasted. He, he took a season where he sought the Lord before he began any ministry. And I believe in many ways it's symbolic of this year that we're going to fast and seek the Lord um, 
to be ready to go on mission with him. A lot of reasons why you would fast. This year, we're going to center our fasting on the mission of God and God bringing the people into our lives and giving us the courage and the strength and the ability to share with them the good news of who he is. And so there's a, there's a guide, there's an online guide that you can find on our website. It's the Week of Prayer and Fasting Guide that will help you explain some things. I'm not going to walk through all of it right now, but we'll explain some things for you. You can grab that resource, um, and then that will lead us up to our night of worship that will be Friday, where we'll just come together and just try to hear from the Lord and try to worship the Lord and try to make much of God um, after a week of pursuing him and seeking him. And so you're going to face some adversity this week. Um, you're going to face some affliction. Uh, you're going to face some challenges this week. And so I just encourage you to be um, diligent um, as we step into this week, okay? Okay, all right. Well, let's, um, let's pray, and then we will, um, we will begin. Pray with me. Father, um, we submit to you today, and as, as we look at your word and as we look specifically at the life of Jesus um, and the mission of Jesus, um, we ask that you would help us to be good followers, uh, not, not, not be fans of Jesus, um, but to be followers of Jesus, um, where we step into our calling and our destiny and what uh, he would have us do. So, God, I pray that you would help us to see that and that you would stir in us for the time that we have, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it and go to Luke chapter 19. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Today we're going to be in Luke 19, starting a new series called Go. Somebody say Go. Go, it's kind of a good word. It's a short word. It's only two letters, but it's got so much power. It's got so much energy in it. It's got so much momentum in it. I love that word, go. And so we're going to do this series over the next three weeks, myself and Pastor Chris. We're going to lead you um, in a series looking actually only at one sermon passage, which is in Luke 19, which is the story of Jesus and his interaction with a guy named Zacchaeus. It's one of the most bizarre um, stories that we see in the life of Jesus because of this dude named Zacchaeus and exactly what he is um, about. And so if you are a Christian, here's kind of, let me set it up for you. If you are a Christian, here's one thing that's completely unavoidable, completely unavoidable. To follow Jesus means to join his mission. To follow Jesus means to join his mission. Jesus, when he would call his early followers, when he would call his early disciples, his invitation to them and his invitation to you and me was, come and follow me. Inherent, embedded in that invitation is a journey, is an invitation to join Jesus on a journey for his mission. Come and follow me, which means I'm going somewhere which means I've got a mission, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan, and the invitation is for you to come and to follow me and to be a part of what I am doing. Do you know that we all follow something? Some of you are following a career path. Some of you are following a body image. Some of you are following a relationship. Some of you are following a GPA. We're all following something. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus gives you the invitation to follow him. He's the best thing to follow. He's the best thing to follow. He's the only thing that won't lead you astray. He's the only thing that when you get to the end, he doesn't leave you empty. He's the, he's the best thing to follow. I, I just believe today that I'm here to tell somebody that you've been following the wrong thing. 
you've been following the, the wrong thing. You got a lot of followers on Instagram. You're following a lot of stuff online, looking at a, at a lot of things, trying to be somebody that you aren't supposed to be. Jesus gives you the opportunity, the invitation to follow him. And in him, when you begin to follow him, you'll find your destiny. You'll find your purpose. You'll find your meaning in him and only in him. You can follow him. You can follow him. As well, there's no such thing as following Jesus and being a part of his kingdom without participating in his kingdom. Like that, that category just doesn't exist in the Bible. There's no such thing as being in his kingdom and not participating in his kingdom. I think, I think sometimes we, um, we, we see um, the church or Christianity kind of like a Broadway show. Anybody go to a Broadway show? Um, recently, my wife loves New York City, and every time we go, we have to go to at least one Broadway show. We've seen Wicked, I think, two or three times. It's bad. Um, yes, I see Broadway shows. I enjoy it. I love it. It's good. It's uh, part of culture. Um, but anyways, uh, let's get back, not me, but um, Broadway. I think Christianity, I think we tend to think of it kind of like a Broadway show. A lot of people in the audience, just a few people on stage, you know, doing the work, doing the important stuff. And we get entertained, and we like it, and it's fun, and we get to leave, and then whenever we need to be entertained again, we show, show back up to be able to watch a few people do a few things. That, that's not what uh, it means to follow Jesus. I'll say it this way. The church is not an audience. It's an army. It's, it's not an audience. It's not, it's not a group. This isn't a spectator sport, you know. Um, this isn't just come on Sunday and get your fill, which if you're here and you're broken, and you're at the bottom, and you need something, and you need to be filled, we are so glad that you are here, and you can come, and you can be, be filled. At some point, you got to start following Jesus. At some point, you got to join uh, the mission. At some point, you got to be on board with what he is doing, and I'll tell you, there is no greater purpose than the fulfillment that comes with following Jesus and seeing his kingdom come here. There's nothing that, that, that's greater. A latte can't do that for you. A salary can't do that for you. A square footage of your house can't do that for you. Only Jesus can do that for you. So the, the church is not an, an audience. It is an army. I love the way that Jesus would say it really near the end of his ministry and his time on earth to his disciples in Matthew 28, um, verse, uh, verses 18 and following, which is referred to as the Great Commission. It says this, and Jesus came and said to them, to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go. Go, therefore. Because, because he has all the authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word for nations there is ethnos. So we get our word ethnicity from, of all ethnicities, of all peoples, of all the Gentiles. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church is not an audience, y'all. It's, it's, it's an army. So we're moving forward together. There's work to be done. There, there's souls to be saved. There's lives to be changed. There's systems to be changed. There's a kingdom to come. So look with me in Luke chapter 19. Let's, let's, let's jump into this fun story. Luke 19, we'll look at verses 1 through 10. And this will be our focus over the next three weeks. And there's so much in here that we decided to take three weeks to walk through it together. Verse 1, it says this. Jesus, he, he entered Jericho and was passing through. He didn't have any official business in Jericho. He didn't try to make a pit stop. He wasn't there to stick around. 
he was just moving through. Any of y'all ever been on the way to somewhere and you've got a destination in mind and you don't want to stop when you were on the way somewhere? Anybody like me in, in that way? Don't, if I got a mission, if I'm a man on a mission, don't tell me to stop because I got somewhere I'm trying to be, something I'm trying to do. Don't tell me to stop. He was just passing through. Huh. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which is an interesting name. Call him Zac for short if you want. Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. It's like, I mean, like no one ever wants to admit, admit that they're rich, right? No one like puts that on their profile. No one says, I'm rich. It, it just, you know, no one likes to say that. But this guy is so loaded. They're like, yeah, he's rich. All right, there's no other way to say it. He is rich. I mean, this guy is loaded. This guy named Zacchaeus, verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. What? This guy? Like, of all people? Like, what you doing, man? Like, why are you trying to see a Galilean peasant who's a rabbi? Why do you even care about that? Something's a little interesting in the story. He wanted to seek who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He's in the back. He couldn't see over all the people. Verse 4, so, it's a creative little guy. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree, kind of like a modern live oak tree, actually. I did my research this week. A sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, wow, Jesus stops. He looks at this guy. It had to be a little bit bizarre. He's up in a tree. Uh, no one else is. A little bit odd. And he says to him, starts talking to him, he says, Zacchaeus. How does he know his name? That's like, Zacchaeus is like, whoa, okay, what is happening? I heard about this guy, wow, okay, all right, all right. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What? Like, I got laundry on the couch, hold on, like, and dishes in the sink, we ain't ready. Like, this, ain't how, this isn't how it's supposed to go. You want to come to my house? Verse 6. So he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, speaking about the critics, Jesus had critics? Yeah, Jesus had critics. He had haters. They were religious folk, actually. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, these religious people are kind of like some religious people in our day. They think the idea of knowing God or godliness is being as far away from a sinner as possible. And Jesus is going to flip the script and say, no, you need to be as close as possible. That's why I came. The, the goal isn't to see how far away you can get from the things of uh, this world, though we should understandably be distinctive in the way that we live, but Jesus doesn't try to create a fort away from the culture. He actually steps into it in holiness, in his a different distinctiveness. And they grumbled in verse, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Look what he called him. He called him Lord. He didn't call him teacher. He didn't tell him, call him buddy, homeboy. It's like, Lord, like something changed in him. It's like, man, this guy, is no, this, this guy is Lord. He's the son of God. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four, 
fold. That's how you know he got the gospel. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham, he gave him a new identity, gave him a new family, gave him a new name. For the son of man, Jesus says of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. He's like, boys, that's why I came. That's why I am doing this. Now, in order to understand really kind of the nuances of this amazing story, we need to unpack a little bit of like Zacchaeus and what his deal is. Now, Zacchaeus, it tells us, I mean, he's obviously, this is the first century. He's in the Roman Empire. He's in the city of Jericho. And it tells us uh, right at the beginning that he was a chief tax collector. Now, the way that it would work in Rome, you thought we had taxes that were messed up. Uh, In Rome, in the first century, their tax system was crazy. Um, There would be tax collectors who would be hired by Rome that would um, live all throughout the empire, and it was their responsibility to collect taxes and then pass those taxes along to um, Rome. Now, what's interesting about these tax collectors is they had the backing of Rome and they had the backing of the Roman military. So you could not question these guys. You could not challenge these guys. What they said was essentially law. Now, the way that a tax collector would make uh, his money is that he would not only charge you your taxes, there'd be various booths and tax booths that would be set up around town and every town and all, the, all over the place. You would have to be required to pay these taxes. Not only would he charge you the taxes that were due, the way that he would make his living would charge above and beyond what the rate was that he had to give to Rome. Now, it was up to him whatever he wanted to charge. And he's got the military behind him. Pretty bad thing, right? So then he can charge whatever he wants to any, anyone um, in order to align his pockets and to make himself rich. Uh, tax collectors were really hated in this error because of the way that they took advantage of people. Now, Zacchaeus ain't just any old tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. Like, he is, like, over other tax collectors. He's, like, over a region of tax collectors. And the way that he's making his money is by getting off of what these guys have collected from the people. And it says that he was rich. I mean, he is loaded. I mean, this guy is successful. You cannot get any more successful than Zacchaeus. He's a successful businessman. He is loaded. I mean, he's got the house down by the intercoastal waterway with not just one dock but two docks. He's got the mountain house. He's got a house in the Keys because his name is Zacchaeus. That's how you know that. Corny pastor joke. Sorry about that. But this guy, he is hes loaded. I mean, he's got... He's got everything. I mean, he is on the cover of all the magazines. I mean, he has made it. But here's 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 what's interesting. Why is he looking for Jesus? I mean, he must be empty. He must be lost. Something didn't work. Something left him searching for more. Zacchaeus shows us that stuff can't satisfy your soul. Go ahead, try, get the job, uh, get the house, get the career, get the substance, 
get the pleasure, get the relationship, you will find that it actually cannot satisfy your soul. Zacchaeus has got it all. And he finds out the hard way that money, success, pleasure, and power doesn't have the ability to satisfy his soul. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician and physicist, in his works Ponce, um, he said this. It's a famous quote. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Others in recent day would go on to take this quote and say that we have a God-shaped hole inside of each of us. Did you know that there's something about you that is um, profoundly infinite? There's something in you that is profoundly unique in every human. You're, you're not just a better version of a tree. You're not just a better version of an animal. In each of us is the image of God. It is something in us that is unbelievably different than everything else in creation. And your soul is infinite. There's something in the core of who you are that is, that is infinite and that is designed for the infinite. And if that's true, that means only the infinite can satisfy that infinite void. And that infinite thing is God. And that's what Zacchaeus found out. I believe that some of you are here today um, because it's the new year and you're looking and you're searching for something outside yourself. You're unsatisfied. You're discontent. You need something outside yourself. And I'm here to tell you today that that thing that you need is God. You were made for him. That's why he created you. That's why he gave you life. That's why he gave you your personhood. That's why you exist. That's the very reason why you exist is because you were made for God, and until you know him, and until you find him, and until that infinite abyss is filled by him, you'll never be satisfied by anything. You'll never be satisfied by porn. You'll never be satisfied by alcohol. You'll never be satisfied by money. You'll never be satisfied by a high enough GPA, because only God can satisfy that. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is this. You could not save yourself. You tried. You tried to be God. You tried to live your life the way that you wanted to live. You tried to make yourself moral. Or you tried to run away and try to figure out whatever salvation was for you. But God came for you. God came for humanity. God didn't just let us go, but he actually came and entered human history in his son, Jesus Christ, and lived and walked this earth. He lived the life that you should have lived but couldn't. Then he died the death that you should have died. And then he conquered the grave that you could not conquer. And in that mysterious news of the gospel, you find the peace and the meaning and the purpose that you've been longing for your entire life. It's the good news of the gospel. And then this is, this is how, if I, if I can, this is how baptism is tied to the gospel. The gospel is about belief. You can't earn God. You can't, like, 
wave a wand and make yourself holy and make yourself right and bring yourself into a relationship with, with God, that has to be something that God does. The, your only role is belief, belief in, in who he is, which means surrendering your own rights as God and Lord of your life, submitting to who he is as God, getting over yourself and giving yourself to God and letting him be your God and your Savior. And if you do that in that moment, you believe and God taps you on the shoulder and you hear it and you feel it and you respond and you give your life to Christ, God comes inside of you and you become a new person, a new creation, and you get new life inside of you. And then Jesus said, this is the way that we're going to tell everybody. Belief is something that can only happen in your own heart and mind. But we need a way that's gonna, we can tell everybody. So here's what we're going to do. Baptism. Baptism follows belief. Baptism is the first command of anyone that has ever believed in God. You consider yourself a believer. You consider yourself a godly. You know God. You like God. Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever been baptized? Baptism is where you make that private belief public before the world. And you demonstrate to all that you identify with Jesus as Lord of your life. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're like, man, baptism is a little awkward. I know. Baptism is a little weird. I know. That's on purpose. Like, are you, are you willing to be a little awkward for Jesus or weird for Jesus? Or you just, want to keep, you just want to keep being cool? All right. Or you actually want to follow Jesus and what you say you believe. That's what belief and baptism are. And so we, we see here that... Um, Stuff cannot satisfy your soul that only God can. Now, now, here's what else this teaches us from Zacchaeus. He's got it all, but it doesn't satisfy him. Here's what this teaches us. People are still searching. People are still searching. He gets a little bit radical. Um, he climbs up a tree, which we have to admit, even if we saw that, that'd be a little weird, right? What's the deal with the dude? What's the deal with the grown man, businessman climbing up in the tree downtown? That's a little weird. Um, uh, what's, he, what's he doing? Um, Zacchaeus demonstrates to us that he's searching. You know, people are still searching. Metaphorically speaking, who, who's the person around you that's up in the tree? Uh, who's the person that's broken? Who's the person that's hurt? Who's the person that's helpless, that's hopeless? Who's the person that is searching? You know that I feel like God puts a lot of different people in our lives, um, and unless revival happens, I don't think, you know, 100 people are going to trust Christ at the same time. Um, what I tend to find from my own experience is that there's typically one or two that God puts in your life, and he puts them in your life for a reason because they're searching, and he's going to use you to embrace them in a relationship and love them and give them the good news of the gospel and what Christ has done. People are still searching. Now, some people don't admit it. Some people think they got it all together. Some people think that they're just fine and dandy. But at the core of who we are, we're still searching. People are still searching. Another thing that we see um, from Jesus in this story, there's a crowd of people around Jesus. I mean, there's people flocking around Jesus. I mean, all over the place. I mean, there's something unique about him, Right? There's something different. There's something distinct about Jesus. And he is, let's admit, he is this like first century Galilean peasant rabbi, teacher, miracle worker, and it's pretty bizarre, but there's something about Jesus that is very different in the way that he operates. 
The way that he looks people in the eye, the things that come out of his mouth, the way that he conducts himself, the things that he believes about the spirituality and the spirit um, life, something very different. And people are attracted to him because of the difference that he has and because of the compassion that he has for people. I'll say it this way. Jesus' lifestyle was attractive to those far from God. It's funny to me that the people that were, like, religious hated Jesus, but the people that were irreligious actually came to Jesus. You know, I find it interesting even in my life that some of my greatest haters and critics are religious people, not irreligious people. But, but it's okay for me if religious people are, um, are, are, let's say, unattracted to my ideas or ministry or lifestyle or whatever, um, if irreligious people or people that are far from God are actually attracted to me and my lifestyle. I'll, I'll take that every day. There's something about Jesus that is unique and distinct and is profound that the culture doesn't have to offer. There was something that Jesus was offering in the first century that the culture did not have. And I would say to you today, we still have something that we offer that the culture does not have. The culture can't figure out how to get over gossip. Still hadn't figured it out. The, the culture still hasn't figured out how to how forgiveness. The, the culture still ha hasn't figured out a, a lot of things. And we're not perfect. We're not acting like we're perfect. But we've got the solution. Like, there's, there's a reason why we love people even when it's inconvenient. People that we don't even know. It, it's bizarre when we forgive people that don't deserve forgiveness. It, it's bizarre um, whenever we uh, demonstrate to people that don't know us, that we love them and that we'll give our money for them. We'll give our resources for them. Why in the world would you ever do that? Nobody does that. Like, why don't you participate in gossip in the office? Like, why don't you do that? Like, why, don't, why doesn't Catherine ever jump into the conversation when we start gossiping? There's something different about her. Why would I, why would I, Fail. Why would I treat people poorly? Why do they respond back to me with grace and mercy when they could respond back to me with judgment and disdain and division and separation? They must have something that I don't have. That's what we have. That's what Jesus had, and he was unbelievably attractive to those that were far from God. Is there anything about your lifestyle that is attractive to people that are far from God? You're like, well, I wear a T-shirt and it says, only Jesus can save. It's probably not very attractive to people that are far from God. Um, I put a bumper sticker on my window, Pastor Ethan, and it says, trust Jesus or go to hell. <laughs> probably not a good idea, Okay. Jesus wasn't a bumper, bumper sticker Christian, by the way. Um, he, he lived it. He didn't need to sl slap stickers on stuff. He just lived it. He had a lifestyle, had a lifestyle that was different, a lifestyle that was radical, a, li a lifestyle that was different. Is, is there anything about your um, lifestyle that is attractive to your neighborhood? Um, we put a Jesus flag on the front porch. Okay, I, I, okay. May or may not be a good idea. You know, do, do, do your neighbors even know that you're a Christian? I mean, do, do your coworkers even know that you're a Christian? Like, is there anything that is attractive about your lifestyle? Now, let me just, let me give you a little bit of a help. Little bit of help. Um, all right, so 
sweating like crazy up here. Um, now, I think we like, I think Christians freak out when it comes to trying to like think about talking to people about Jesus, which we're weird, okay? Just, we're weird, okay? Just go ahead and acknowledge that. Like, you're weird and you're crazy, all right? Just, let's just go ahead and get over yourself. You're not cool. You think you're cool. You believe in Jesus. The book says he's coming back on a white horse. Okay, that's crazy, all right? Just, just, just go ahead and resolve that we're a little bit crazy. Um, but, but, like, get over your, like, what people think about you. Like, you, you love people that are around you in your workplace. They're like, they know you're a Christian. Um, here's, here's an easy one. Um, tomorrow, I can't do this because um, on Mondays when I show up to work, um, it's all Christians, which is a good thing. Um, but when you show up to work, um, one, of the, one of the questions that you'll be asked probably by someone in the office place or whatever, is um, how was your weekend? They, like, just tossed you, like, a softball, you know, for, like, a gospel opportunity. What do you say? I mean, do you ever say, well, I, went, I was at church on Sunday, and it was great, and it was awesome, and God did this, and blah, blah, blah. You ever say that? Like, nah, I'm kind of waiting to play that card. How long are you going to wait? I mean, like, for a decade? I mean, like, I mean, just, let's just go ahead and acknowledge and admit that we're Christians. So say, man, it was great. Friday, man, Friday we went and saw episode nine of Star Wars. Epic, amazing. It was great. Had a great time. Uh, went, on a, went on a date, did this, whatever. Saturday, man, slept in, um, made amazing waffles for breakfast, um, and then hung out, did a little yard work, whatever. Um, did this, traveled this here. Sunday was at church. Man, it was awesome. Uh, love, love going to this new church that, that, I'm, that I'm going to, and it was just great. What about you? What about your, week, your weekend? Okay, and then they share about your weekend. And you say, hey, by the way, like, are you, you know, I don't want to get weird, but you go to church, are you religious, you're religious? I mean, what, what, what's your deal with that? You're like, I would probably say, well, no, I don't go to church. Or, yeah, I go to church or whatever. You're like, I mean, there's an opportunity right there. You can even say, like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I got you. Oh, yeah, you, I, I see what you, man, we should grab coffee sometime and talk about it. I'd love to hear more about your story on what that's like, you know, what, you, what you've been through. Um, you know, like, there's opportunities. Um, we're, we're, you got the hope of the world. Like, you get the greatest news in the history of the world. Like, let's, you know, let's, have you ever invited anyone to church? Is it because you're, like, hiding this? I don't post it online on social media because I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian. I show up on Sunday, I sit in the back and try not to make too much of a deal. But I get it if, like, you need to, like, come under the radar and, like, you've got a bad experience and you need to fly under the radar. Totally cool. But if, like, you're, like, a follower of Jesus, a committed follower of Jesus, and you're, like, this is kind of, like, something that you hide in a cave that's a part of your lifestyle, like, come on, you know? Like, the call... The calls to go, the call, the calls to follow Jesus. Thousands of people don't know Christ in our city. Millions of people around the world don't know Christ. And is, is, there, is eternal life real? Is it or not? Because if, it, if, it is, if, if it's not, let's just give it up and go home. But if it is, souls are on the line. And it's our job to tell them about it. And we don't have to be weird and, and goofy and crazy about it, but we can love people, love the socks off of people, love them and get to know their name and get to know their kids' names and get to know their dog's name and, and get to know who they are and what they're like and what their story is and invest in their life and see them. I love that about Jesus. Jesus stopped and he saw Zacchaeus. 
How many of us are willing to stop what we're doing for somebody? Who, who is it that God is putting in your life that's perhaps up in a tree? That God just wants you to stop and to look at them. And say their name. Just say their name. Look them in the eye. And begin a relationship and begin to love them and begin to demonstrate the gospel that you say has changed your life. See, this is, this is what's so... Um, this is what I love about Jesus. I mean, he's the busiest person in the world. Anybody else got a busier agenda than Jesus? Anybody else got a more important task, mission? I personally feel like a man on a mission and, like, don't stop me because I got somewhere to go and places to be and I got an objective to accomplish. Jesus, like, 100 times more than that. But Jesus, he, he stops. I'm sure the disciples are like, here we go again. <laughs> he stops. He's just passing through, but, but he stops. Zacchaeus wasn't an inconvenience for Jesus. You know, people are never an inconvenience for Jesus. If you're here today and you're searching and you're looking, I just want you to know that um, you're not an inconvenience for Jesus either. And he loves you. He's crazy about you. He even died for you. That's how much he loves you. People aren't an inconvenience for Jesus, and here's why. People are the mission. People are the mission. Jesus is willing to change his plans in order for someone in need because people are the mission. You know, we, we need to begin to recognize that people are the mission. All right, and it's not about buildings at the end of the day, and it's, it's not about programs at the end of the day. Those are fine and, and dandy. It's about people. It's about reaching people and seeing people experience who God is. And here's the, here's the last point I'll say. Jesus never commanded the lost to go to the church. He commanded the church to go to the lost. I mean, you haven't told anyone about Jesus for like 18 months. You're like, I just hope they come to church, you know. Like, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't command the lost to go to church. He commanded the church to go to the lost. So that's our, that's our, that's our command. That's, that's a commission. We are, we're going now, every now and then, somebody tells me a story, might be your story. I'm driving by Market Street, needed a cup of coffee, pulled into Port City, Java, looked over. The Bridge Church, what is that? And they said, maybe I should check that out, and they came. All right, that happens like one out of 100, okay, that, that happens. The rest of the way that people get here is by relationship, all right, by people um, hearing about this, or maybe online, but hearing, building relationship, finding out and, and coming and taking um, taking a risk and coming and seeing if this is something that would be beneficial for them. Jesus didn't command the lost to go to the church. He commanded the church to go to the lost. You know, there's a, there's a comedian, um, a little bit older. Some, some of you may not recognize this. There's a comedian. He's actually a magician as well, the best comedians. And he is a part of this group. It's called Penn and Teller. Anybody ever heard of Penn and Teller? Um, Penn is this huge dude, long black hair. Um, Teller's this little guy. Um, do magician, do, do uh, or uh, mag well, magic, whatever. They do, they do their thing, comedy, blah, 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 blah. They do their thing. All right, he does this, he does this video. He's actually a, um, he's, he's a pretty outspoken atheist. Um, and he does this video that I saw a few years ago that is just really, really amazing. 
He says that um, one day after one of his shows, he was, you know, outside greeting people, um, signing some autographs, kind of like is their normal custom. And there was a guy that was sitting over, standing over to the side, kind of waited until everybody else left. And, and then he came over. He said he was kind of a big guy. Uh, Penn said that th this guy walked over to him and um, just shook his hand and said, hey, I was actually at the show last night. And I just wanted to come and say, um, I thought the show was fantastic. I thought you did a great job. I thought your use of language was great. Um, I thought your routine was, was fantastic. I just really, really loved it and just, just wanted to let you know that it was, it was awesome. And Penn says, wow, this guy, I mean, like he was looking me right in the eye and there was, he was being genuine. He wasn't like being fake or anything like that. And then the, and then the, man, said, the man said, you know, but I came back today because I just felt like I needed to give you something. And I wanted you to have something. And so he pulls out actually a little Bible in the back of his pocket. He said, I want you to have this. This is a, this is a Bible. And if you look on the inside, I just, I just wrote you a short note there. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a believer. I, don't, I know you don't believe what I believe, but I do, I do believe that there's eternal life. And I want you to have that. And so this is, this is my gift for you. Now, Penn in this video you would think he would be like this crazy person, blah, 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 blah. Like you think that would be the, the tone. But Penn says this. He says, he says I actually admired the guy. He said, I was, I was blown away. But he says, this was a wonderful interaction with um, this guy. He says, I don't believe what the guy um, believes um, at all. But he, he said, but this, this guy was actually genuine. He believes that there is an eternal life. And so he, was, he wanted, he loved me enough to tell me about it. He said, and I appreciate that about him. And then he said this, if you believe in eternal life, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about it? Which just demonstrates if we believe in eternal life, in Jesus, in Christ, in, in the gospel, do we love people enough to actually tell them? See, um, you were the one that was lost. And Jesus, he went to you. He came for you, sacrificed himself, looked weird, actually gave us his life for you so that you could experience him and, and know him. And now you're responsibility is the same, to share that with others. I heard it said that evangelism or telling other people about the gospel or about Jesus is, it's really just um, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You know, and if you found bread, if you tasted of the bread of life, and you understand Christ, then let's tell other people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.